Hello there. This week we have a switch with a twist, featuring a full-length interview with Essex's Simon Harmer, conducted before being furloughed, in case HMRC are listening. He talks about his success in 2019, being named one of Wisdom's Cricketers of the Year, a potential international return, and much more. Have a listen, and we'll be back with the regular pod team soon. Stay safe. Hi Simon, uh, welcome to the pod. You're over in the UK, it looks a lovely spring day outside, uh, but unfortunately we can only enjoy it fleetingly at the moment. Um, how are you surviving during lockdown? Um, it's been okay so far. Uh, it started off a bit slowly, I'd say. Um, I think it's quite easy to get into bad habits. And so the first couple of days was a bit like holiday. And then luckily I've got Tom Wesley living up the road. So um, we've got a social distancing running club. Um, so we go uh, normally at about lunchtime um, for about a five or six kilometer run and then I picked up some weights from the ground <clears throat> so I'm managing to sort of try and keep the strength work up as well so yeah between that and um, an online short course that I'm doing uh, lockdown has been relatively productive but the novelty has definitely worn off and I'm looking forward to getting my freedom back at some stage did you fly in? How sort of um, much before kind of this whole situation broke out? Did you arrive in the UK? So I flew over on the second of March. So we went to the House of Lords for the presentation of the trophy and the medals from last season for the county championship, and then left on the 9th of March for pre-season, which was supposed to be two weeks in Abu Dhabi and then a week in Sri Lanka for the MCC game um, and then a decision was made by the club that if the ECB was to cancel the tour of Sri Lanka uh, that we would then look to come back from Abu Dhabi and obviously cancel the Sri Lanka tour so unfortunately that happened so we flew back to the UK on around the 16th or 17th, I think, of March. It might have been a little bit earlier than that. Um, so, yeah, and I've been in sort of isolation ever since then. And presumably you're, you've, you know, you've got family back in South Africa. Are they in a similar situation there as well now? Um, yes, I think the South African lockdown is a bit more strict than what the UK's is. So you're not allowed to leave your house there to exercise. You're basically only allowed to leave your house in order to go and shop for essential goods. Um, alcohol is not deemed to be essential, so you cannot buy any hot food or alcohol um, whilst on the lockdown. So I think it's a little bit tougher for them. So definitely got the better end of the stick being in the UK thus far. Um, but yeah, my mom and dad and brother are in South Africa uh, getting through that and luckily my girlfriend made it over from South Africa just before the sort of travel bans came in so um, we've moved into a place in Epping so just been trying to furnish that um, hurting Amazon and deliveries and things like that but 
Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and happy to spend a lot of time together for, for now. <laughs> yeah, so two weeks has been good so far. Um, it's, uh, yeah, there's obviously not a lot to do, so catching up on series and watching movies and trying to be productive and also just make the best of it as well and, and spend time together. Um, well, there's obviously still a lot of uncertainty about what cricket we may yet see this summer. Uh, one thing we can always do is look back, though. Um, Wisdom just named you one of its five cricketers of the year for the 2019 English season. Um, how proud were you to be joining that club? Yeah, it's something that um, I was aware of from quite a young age. Um, there was some pretty good coverage um, there was this cricket, South African Cricketers magazine um, that used to come out monthly that um, I can remember reading about uh, Wisden, the five Wisden Cricketers of the Year. And so, um, obviously, it was Jamie Porter winning it for the 2017 season um, and seeing the leather-bound book. I wasn't aware of that. Um, it was obviously quite traditional and prestigious and um, unfortunately, it didn't happen, but the whole dinner at Lords and the presentation, uh, something I think quite special. Uh, cricket is obviously still very traditional in England. And um, yeah, I think to be, if you look at the list of players that have won it previously, to, to sort of form part of um, the alumni of, of, sort of those people as, um, yeah, something that I'm really proud of. Uh, it's obviously not something that you set out at the beginning of the season. And my goal this season is to win um, one of Wisdom's Cricketers of the Year. But I think um, it's sort of it's nice getting the recognition um, after having a good season. So yeah, something that I am pretty proud of. Have they managed to, to send you your commemorative copy yet? Has that landed to, on the doorstep in the post? Uh, no, not as of yet. Um, I'm not sure if they've got my new address. So, um, yeah, it might go to the to the county ground. So I'll pick it up when um, I finally get back, unless uh, it arrives on my doorstep, which will be quite nice. I mean, I mean, the guess that you know, last summer for uh, many reasons was quite a momentous one for cricket over here, with the World Cup and um, uh, Ashes and all that, and, and Essex doing the double, which you know, something is right at the top of the tree. Um, but nice to see your name there in, in that five alongside Jofra Archer, Pat Cummins, um, Elise Perry, and the like. I think Marnus Labuschagne was the, was the uh, fifth. Yeah, um, obviously. Only the only domestic cricketer on the list, um, so that's sort of quite nice. Obviously, I haven't played international cricket since 2015, so um, you know you got to make the best of your circumstances and try and make the best of my talent. So, yeah, I think if you look at the list um, of the other four cricketers and and the things that they have done um, in the last 12 months on the international stage. Um, I guess it makes it uh, a little bit more special. Um, tell us a bit about that summer. You've had a, you've had some time to reflect on what you achieved, but you know you were the leading championship wicket taker um, that helped Essex to their second title in three years. You also captained them to the blast. Um, I mean, it was it was a pretty good year all round, wasn't it? It was. Um, obviously, the county championship was. 
a little bit more predictable. Um, Somerset really ran away from it right from the start of the season. We started off quite slowly losing to Hampshire in the first game. Um, and we're kind of chasing our tails from then onwards because Somerset had got off to such a good start. But we knew we had to play them twice. Um, and if we kind of kept on winning, which we were doing at Chelmsford um, and finding ways to win away from home, that uh, if we beat them twice, then we could quite possibly catch them. Um, it turned out that they faltered at the second last hurdle. Um, down at the Rose Bowl um, and so sort of opened the door for us and then yeah we always knew that weather was going to play an issue we always knew that uh, the wicket was going to be a result wicket if I can put it like that um, so yeah it was obviously everything panned out um, the weather played its part um, and it's been yeah, looking back on it now, it was an extremely special season. I think what sort of served us well was we found ways to outscore opposition at Chelmsford. We all knew that sort of Chelmsford wasn't the batter's paradise and that it was of yesteryear. But with the guys like uh, Alistair Cook and Dan Lawrence and Ravi in the middle order, we always found ways to score runs and I think that was sort of the most important thing for us um, and then obviously playing at home uh, with the turning ball it was always fun bowling there and, and being assisted by Jamie Porter uh, Aaron Beard really came through during the season Sam Cook has become a stalwart of the of the four-day team so um, it was a really good collective effort um, I think Chelmsford, the conditions at Chelmsford helped us a lot. Um, so yeah, all in all, a pretty good four-day season. And then the T20 stuff, we were absolutely horrendous at the beginning of the competition. Um, couldn't string consistent performances together. And it came down to Glamorgan needing to beat Hampshire. And I think Glamorgan's record was 0 from 27 or 0 from 21 or something ridiculous. Um, and Hampshire had been playing really good T20 cricket so um, I think we were pushing the proverbial um, turd uphill if I can put it like that but uh, yeah the stars aligned we managed to beat Kent at home and Glamorgan beat Hampshire and we were through to the playoffs and I think from there I mean there's a lot of talk of sort of how we got there but I think from there we kind of earned our place in the semi-finals into finals day um, and then I don't think finals day could have gone any better than it did. So, yeah, it was pretty special being able to, to lead the team um, on finals day and, and to lift the trophy um, on that, what was it, Saturday night. Um, so, yeah, it was incredibly special. The club never won the T20 trophy before. Um, some really good performances through the tournament by our senior players, which I think was really important. Um, Ravi Bapara and Ryan Tenders-Carter were pretty special in the middle order. And I think Dan Lawrence sort of came into his own this season, um, sort of showcased his skill. And guys like Tom Wesley at the top of the order, the bowlers, um, Aaron Beard and um, Adam Zampa was instrumental for us. 
I mean, that was your you'd only taken over the captaincy that season. Um, kind of, did it take a little while to, to find your stride with that? And what did you learn about yourself uh, over the course of the, of the campaign? I think that's a good question. Um, might have been planted by some of the players, perhaps. Um, but no, only joking. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm quite a passionate and intense person, um, especially when it uh, it comes into a competitive environment. So um, I expect a lot. Um, sometimes I think I expect too much. So I think at the beginning of the tournament there was probably too much intensity from my part um, and like sort of as the tournament progressed and we were losing I started to realize that I couldn't control everything um, I had to trust the guys and and understand that um, like everybody's trying their best and and we needed to just find ways to to string good performances and 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 free the players up um, get away from the fear of failure uh, understand that T20 cricket is is for entertainment purposes. So, looking to take wickets as bowlers versus trying to not get hit for boundaries, and as batters, looking to take the positive option. If if you're unsure, go for the positive option. If you get out doing that, there's there's sort of no going to be no hard feelings. And the same as a bowler, if you get hit for a boundary trying to take a wicket, provided that it's at the right time, not say the last ball of an over. Um, but especially in the first six, we identify those first six overs as a bowling unit that um, if we can look to strike and take wickets, it really opens up the middle period for myself, Zamps and Ravi to try and operate in there. And I think that's where we got it wrong in, in the beginning of the tournament. Um, we were perhaps too defensive, playing at Chelmsford, a small ground, trying to defend the whole time. And I think... Um, yeah, as a captain, I got it wrong there. And once we started to look to play more aggressively, look to take wickets, look to score runs, um, it really freed the guys up and, and allowed them to express themselves. Did you have to sort of have difficult conversations as well? There was obviously the move uh, of Ravi down to the sort of finisher role. Um, Tom Wesley went up to open, I think, after a few games. Yeah, there were um, some tough conversations. Uh, Varun Chopra also started off the competition. Um, so him and Ravi fell out of contention. Um, we felt like um, it was the right move having Ravi at uh, six, but he obviously felt differently. I think it was quite well publicized as well that he wanted to bat high up in the order. But for me, the decision was always about where is Ravi best for the team? And in my opinion, finishing an innings coming in when there's 30 balls left in a game, that's when I feel he is the most dangerous. Um, and sort of in the top three or four batters in the world that can do that. Um, he obviously felt differently, which he was, he was allowed to do. The first sort of four games didn't really work for us. We couldn't string any performances together and we felt like we needed to make the change. Um, same as chops at, at the top of the order, um, we feel it, we felt like we needed a bit more um, explosiveness and uh, risk taking, uh, and so we decided to tweak the batting order a little bit. It was never the idea that they would stay out the team for the entire tournament, but um, we felt like we needed to make some changes and and bring in some fresh ideas. So. Yeah, it was difficult having those conversations and trying to explain to those players, 
two guys that I feel like I get along really well with. Um, but I guess that's part and parcel of the captaincy role, the, the relationships that you have personally and the relationships that you have within a cricket team are, are different. Um, and, yeah, I think it's quite important to be able to distinguish those that if I think you're not doing, doing a job on a cricket field, it doesn't therefore mean that I think differently of you away from the cricket field. So um, that was probably also like a bit of a learning experience um, being able to sort of separate those two things and and still maintain the relationships off the field. Be uh, interesting to see where uh, uh, Sussex bat Ravi if if the if and when the blast um, starts up this this summer. I, I mean, I guess everyone at Chelmsford was sad to see him go. Yeah, he's obviously been at the club for I think seventeen or eighteen years. Um, he came through the youth system, so. Yeah, it was sad to see him go. He obviously felt like he needed a change and, um, yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he got written into his contract that he needed to bat for. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I mean, your own personal contribution, certainly on finals day, you had uh, a real day out there, uh, four for 19, three for 16, and then and then hitting the winning runs in the final, uh, uh, another uh, special moment in a season full of them. Yeah, I think it couldn't have gone any better. Um, obviously, we were excited to be at finals day, but I didn't want our attitude to, attitude to just be sort of, we're happy to be there. And the way it worked out, it played into our hands perfectly. The wicket was extremely slow, which suited our bowling. Uh, myself, uh, Aaron Nidger, Ravi, we had Cameron Delport, um, who had done an extremely good job for us up the order opening the batting um, but also was able to sort of turn his, turn his arm over and whenever he did he seemed to take wickets so um, I think having guys like that in your team on a slow wicket was was massive for us and yeah I managed to pick up some wickets which was really nice because throughout the tournament it had always been maybe one, two if I was lucky um, so yeah to get sort of three and four wickets in the semi-final and final when we needed it was extremely rewarding and I mean, uh, someone like Aaron Nidger, who came into the side, Adam Zampel wasn't available, but um, he, he performed very well in a, in pressure, pressure situations, I should say. Um, did you, you know, kind of put an arm around him on the day and, and kind of give him uh, the benefit of your experience and that sort of thing? Um, I hope I hope that he felt accepted and that he belonged there because obviously it's quite difficult for him not really playing a part in the tournament and then coming in for the semi-final and final so the only thing that I really said to him was just to enjoy the occasion um, I think if we were relying on him to win us games then as a team we probably weren't in a, in a good space um, it was always going to be in a, in a supporting role um, but the way that things worked out with the wicket being as slow as it was, um, he turned out to be quite important for us. But I think the biggest thing was not putting too much pressure on him, making sure that he enjoyed the occasion. And, um, yeah, I think in the circumstances, he did extremely well. Um, <clears throat> talking about kind of young English spinners, um, it, there's, in the championship over recent years uh, in England, it's been... It's, 
that have been a you know a big discussion point about how hard it is for spinners to succeed or or at least to develop um, in English cricket. What's been your experience of you know having to bowl a lot in April and, and September, uh, even if Chelmsford is a bit more friendly than, than some other places? Um, I think I've always enjoyed uh, the challenge of. So if somebody tells me that the wickets are green in April and you don't really bowl a lot of spin, I want to prove you wrong. And it's kind of been like, I've had to prove people wrong throughout my career. And I think hearing things like that as well, as an off spinner, like that's what I do. That's my job. Um, If you tell me that that's not really what normally happens, I'm going to try and show you that we can change perceptions and, um, strategies and whatever might go with it. So I've always enjoyed bowling a lot um, and finding ways to sort of make things work. Um, so yeah, I think Chelmsford starts turning earlier than most grounds, sort of um, come the end of May, beginning of June. It's probably more like end of July, beginning of August. So um, it has helped me a lot. Um, I think the trust that Ryan Tenderscott have put in me uh, by giving me the opportunity to bowl quite early on. Um, I know in, in 2017 it was always I'd bowl a couple of overs before lunch and then start bowling after the seamers had had to go after lunch. Whereas I think as he trusted me more and as he saw what I was all about he then started to sort of introduce me into the game a lot earlier, which um, I think is obviously not what batters are expecting, um, especially in England when the ball's nipping and swinging. So, yeah, I think it was uh, from a sort of captaincy perspective, Tendo bringing me into the game earlier um, helped me a lot. Um, I mean, your success has uh, been there for to see over over the last three seasons. I think going back to your debut at Essex, you have collected 291 first-class wickets, um, and some of those for the Warriors as well, I think, in that time. That's 74 more than the next best. Um, 217 wickets at 20 for Essex. Uh, do, you, do you feel like you thrive on that extra responsibility? Um, yeah, again... I stepped away from international cricket, decided to come over to the UK as a coal pack. So I felt that I still needed to prove to myself that I was good enough. Um, I think it would have been easy for me to just sort of roll into Essex, understand that um, the standard wasn't going to be international cricket and I could just sort of coast along. But for me, I wanted to try and, like I said earlier, make the most of my talent. I think that's at the end of my career when I look back, as long as I can be the best version of Simon Harmer, that's the most important thing for me. So, yeah, I think um, coming over and and looking for challenges, looking for ways to be better, looking for... Um, yeah, ways to perform and, and help Essex win more cricket games. They've just been promoted from Division 2 into Division 1. The media day chat in 2017 was all about whether or not Essex would be able to stay up or if they'd be relegated again to Division 2. So, um, yeah, I think I really enjoyed the challenge of county cricket. 
I'd obviously followed county cricket as a youngster. Um, it's very traditional still in, in England. You get two and a half thousand people down to Chelmsford, which is a six and a half thousand seater game. I mean, stadium. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I really enjoy the challenge and, and getting the opportunity, um, which, which I was looking for when I came over. I think, um, sort of Essex gave me the platform to, to showcase my, my skills and my talent. Yeah. Um, well, there's certainly a, a platform you've managed to take advantage of. Um, just as an aside on um, pitches and so on, and um, the the way the championship is set up, the toss rule uh, for this season uh, was supposed to be reverting back to the um, you know a toss in all circumstances. Obviously, we don't know how how the championship will shape up if it, if it shapes up at all. But um, what's been your view on on that um, kind of the idea that the, the visiting team could just decide to bowl first, and whether that had um, changed the nature of services in in England? Um, well, I wasn't fortunate enough to play before things change but from what I understood when you would get to um, teams that were maybe flirting with relegation or weren't as strong that the wickets would be slightly underprepared to sort of even um, the playing ground if I can put it like that Um, and so when they brought in the uncontested toss uh, the wickets did generally get better and now moving back to uh, the traditional toss, I think um, from speaking to players, it's got the potential for wickets to get even flatter. Um, and then it also gives the opportunity for sort of teams that might be struggling on relegation and need a result to then go towards um, a green top. But I think whenever we played at Chelmsford, um, teams always wanted to bat first anyway because they didn't want to bat last so 90% of the time it went to a toss I think there was the very rare occasion where teams would come and bowl first Um, most teams wanted to bat first to Chelmsford so uh, playing at home I don't think it'll change too much but obviously playing away um, it has the potential for teams to sort of uh, prepare wickets that suit, suit their batters and bowlers um, what did you think of that um, Taunton pitch, by the way, for the end of the, uh, the final game of the season? It obviously was officially rated poor in the end, and Somerset were due to start this summer with, uh, I think, 12 points deducted. Again, we, we don't really know how that will um, play out. But um, what, what, what was the view of the players uh, on, on that um, surface? Uh, well, I think it's uh, public knowledge that the wickets are Taunton normally turn, uh, normally produce results. So we knew with uh, weather imminent and going to play a part in the four days that the wicket was going to be a result wicket. Um, I think, I don't know if anybody, nobody could really see, but the groundsman was standing on the edge of the square and when Somerset won the toss, um, gave a massive celebration, fist pumping, jumping up and down. Um, but I couldn't, there was like, <laughs> bit of a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, there were grooves in the wicket at like a 45 degree angle, about, I'd say, a quarter of an inch deep. 
Um, that was the most surprising thing for me. Um, but, I mean, uh, I don't want to get myself into trouble. It's, they've obviously rated it poorly. They got a 24-point uh, deduction, 12 of which are suspended. Um, and I know that the groundsman has now moved to the Rose Bowl at Hampshire. Um, so, yeah, I think um, it could be a completely different kettle of fish at Taunton this year. But um, that wicket for the last game, I think they knew that was the only way that they were going to beat us was to prepare a wicket that would sort of only last two days. So um, they paid the price for that and we ended up winning the trophy at Taunton, which was that much sweeter. Um, you've talked about uh, kind of proving people wrong. Uh, you obviously had a taste of, of Test cricket uh, in 2015, um, and then and then obviously uh, dropped from the side and, and opted to move to Essex. But do you do you think you were uh, unfairly written off in some quarters uh, earlier in your career? Um, well, I think. Professional sports is about opportunity and about being at the right place at the right time. So um, I think I was lucky in the fact that I made my debut for South Africa because Robin Peterson had uh, stitches in his finger. Imran Tahir came in for the Port Elizabeth test match um, and I was in the right place at the right time and made my debut. Now on the other end of the scale getting dropped uh, after five test matches, two of which were in Bangladesh, which were rained out. So effectively three test matches. But uh, we had a pretty poor series, to put it lightly, uh, on the 2015 tour to India. And there were always going to be casualties of that tour, um, of which I was one of them. Uh, it's unfortunately professional sport um, and professional cricket in that sense. So, yeah, um, I would have liked a, a bit more opportunity, but um, perhaps that's still going to come in international cricket or not. I'm not sure, but um, I think Keshav Maharaj has, has done well uh, and taken his opportunity with both hands. So um, I've just got to sort of work harder and if the opportunity presents itself one day, make sure that uh, I'm better prepared than I was in 2015. Do you sort of feel um, kind of within yourself that you need to play international cricket again to, uh, you know, to, to underline that point about um, how good a player you, you feel you are? Um, I think it's more about the level at which I compete. So I've played three years of county cricket now and I'm, as a natural competitive sportsman, I'm itching for the next challenge. So what is the next challenge? So if it's not going to be international cricket, I need to start challenging myself in terms of T20 cricket. So I then need to work on my skill set as an orthodox off-spinner who doesn't normally play an integral role in T20 cricket. I need to find ways for me to be that person, to be the bowler that a team relies on in order to take wickets. Um, if it is going to be international cricket, to then compete on that stage... Um, and to prove to myself that I am good enough to play international cricket. Um, but if it doesn't happen, then, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. It's um, it's not something in my control, uh, whether the Brexit divorce happens at the end of the year, whether 
the UK leaves with or without a deal is going to play a role in whether or not I then become an overseas player or if I stay a Colpac player. So there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of if, buts and maybe. Um, yeah, unfortunately, the season hasn't really started the way that everybody had planned. But um, yeah, I've just got to make sure that um, I'm on top of my game and, and I'm finding ways to get better each and every season. Um, you know, statistically, I think it would be fairly safe to say you're you're the best spinner in England, um, and some might say you're you know among the best best off spinners in the world. Uh, where do you, how do you sort of uh, view yourself when you look at other players out there like uh, Ravi Ashwin or, or Nathan Lyon? Do you see what they're doing in Test cricket and think, well, you know, I can do those things as well? I don't think it's it's I can do that as well. It's more I want to see. Can I do that? Can I rock up on day five at the MCG and spin a team out? Or am I not good enough to do that? Am I good enough to go to India? I've tried it once and and failed. Uh, am I good enough to take wickets in India? Am I? Can I deal with the pressures of international cricket? Can I? Do you know what I mean? It's it's more about that. Uh, more unanswered questions versus looking at Lyon and being, oh, I can do that, or he's not that great. It's not that at all. It's, um, I think I was just happy to be there when I made my, my debut in 2015. It was international cricket. It's everything I had aspired to. All my dreams, all my goals, they'd been accomplished. And I didn't then reset my goals and reset the goalposts of where I wanted to go with that opportunity that I had achieved. Um, and I think I've realized that as I've got older. Um, and I think uh, Richie McCaw made, in his documentary, I think it's called Chasing Great or something like that, um, he speaks about he had all his goals up until becoming an all-black, and then once he became an all-black, sort of what then? And he wanted to be the greatest all-black of all time. And I think I could have been more proactive and better than... Like having all these goals and to play for South Africa, to make my debut international cricket. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to play for South Africa. And then you don't sort of reset your goals once you get there. So, yeah, I think it's it's something that I, I could have done better and something I feel I'd be better prepared for now. Whether or not the opportunity comes, it's um, my own fault if it doesn't. What, what do you think you've learned in, in sort of those years since? Obviously, he's a, as you say, an orthodox off spinner, turning the ball one way. It's, a, it's about flight, it's about grip, variation, that, that sort of thing. Um, how do you think your game has improved in um, those years? Um, I think it's been uh, learning how to adapt in certain situations, um, finding ways to take wickets when... Um, Sort of the conditions aren't in your favour. Um, dealing with success, dealing with failure, um, not worrying about what's going on around you, not worrying about who's taking wickets or what everybody else is doing. Um, it's sort of focusing all my energy on myself and finding ways for me to get better. So I think there's been a lot on the field and off the field that I've that I've learned over the last few years. Um, but it's probably the stuff that I've learned off the field that's, that's helped me the most. 
I mean, it, it seems like through your career, you've um, often had to make these kind of um, leaps uh, where you know you've relied on your independence. I think you moved um, early on to, to Port Elizabeth. Obviously, you've moved to Essex. Um, is that has that sort of informed your development as a spinner and or, or well, as a cricketer? I suppose in, in kind of um, taking on challenges uh, and working out how to deal with them on the pitch. Yeah, I think um, getting out of my comfort zone as early as I did, I think was probably one of the most important things. Um, straight after school, going and playing club cricket in the UK, uh, I learned a lot about life. Uh, I had to grow up pretty quickly. So, and then moving down to PE, moving to Essex, moving away from my support structure, you then you need to find ways in order to be happy, to be successful. Um, so I definitely think it's helped me um, grow as as a person. And I think playing with the Kookaburra ball my whole life and then coming over to the, U- the UK and then sort of playing with the Duke ball, it's also my first season as well as I did, I still wasn't very comfortable with it. Um, but now sort of bowling with the Duke ball, I think I've I've added that to my game um, in terms of being able to to change um, and adapt because different grips work with the kookaburra as with the the juke ball. So I think changes bring um, ways you need to adapt, um, and I think yeah, it's it's been critical in in my growth uh, as a cricketer. I think you were a, you both sort of seem up uh, until uh, kind of uh, you were a teenager when you when you took up up spin and you're you're quite a tall guy. Um, have you sort of maintained or retained that kind of attacking instinct of, uh, of being a seam bowler who now bowls spin? Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed uh, a challenge uh, and getting into a, like a a fight, if I can call it that, when I'm bowling. Um, I think. The competition is what fuels my competitiveness, my my drive, my desire. So, um, yeah, I think um, that's always been something that I've I've tried to do is is get involved in in a scrap, and um, I think it it brings the best out of me. Um, and just sort of on the technical side of the game, you talked about if the next challenge is kind of um, improving at T20 and so on. How, what are the differences between your you know first class career is is kind of um, uh, you know there are a few people that have taken 600 um, first class wickets playing the game currently. Um, but how does that change when you when you have to um, bowl with a white ball with uh, fielding restrictions and so on? What what are the technical uh, differences there for you as a um, spinner? I think the biggest thing is being able to nail your skills under pressure. Um, as an orthodox off spinner, if you're just going to bowl orthodox deliveries, if I can put it like that, you need to be able to nail a Yorker. You need to be able to bowl, bowl a ball that doesn't turn. Um, you need to be able to read a batter, um, understand when they're going to be looking to take you on. And normally as an off spinner from the first ball you bowl, the batters already decided that they're going to take you down. So um, it's then trying to find ways to get the ball to turn away from the batter 
um, and disguising it as well as you can, whether that be a carom ball, whether, whether that be bowling a conventional leg spinner, um, an undercutter, whatever it is that works for you. Um, it's finding ways uh, to add that to your arsenal and being at the top of your run and being able to say, okay, I'm going to bowl a carom ball and knowing exactly where it's going to land because it doesn't help that you can bowl it, but you're too nervous to bowl it in a game or you bowl it halfway down the wicket. Um, so I think that's the sort of um, the biggest skill in terms of T20. Um, obviously, there's a lot of technical aspects that go into bowling a carom ball, bowling a leg spinner, whatever it may be, but it's, it's being comfortable in that skill that you can then implement it in a game when you really need it. Because um, kind of, I guess red ball bowling is all about repetition and doing the same thing over and over again with kind of subtle uh, changes, um, whereas deciding to bowl a, a carom ball is, is a very different thing uh, at the top of your mark in T20. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you've, you've nailed it in terms of four-day cricket. You need to be as consistent over a long period of time as you can be um, and looking to sort of keep the batsman at one end. Um, if you can bowl six balls at a batter, uh, you can put a lot more pressure on him than if he's getting two singles and over and getting off strike. So, um, yeah, they are two very different disciplines, but um, each one brings their uh, positives and negatives. Um, you touched on, on the Colpac situation and... Um Obviously, before the coronavirus crisis, Brexit was the thing dominating the headlines. Uh, you're contracted to Essex, I think, until 2022. What, what happens um, if that Colpac qualification is rescinded uh, at the end of this year and, and the UK drops out of the EU? Do, do, will you, is your contract state you'll go on to a, an overseas um, position? Yeah, I agree terms with Essex um, that if the UK leaves without a deal um, at the end of the year, uh, that my three-year contract, the last two years of that contract, I would then um, be an overseas player for Essex. And in terms of um, your availability or ability to play for South Africa, I guess if you were an overseas player, then that um, would enable South Africa to pick you again, which as a Colpac player they currently can't. Um, yeah, well there haven't been any discussions uh, from Cricket South Africa's side, proactive discussions about what would happen. Um, and obviously... I don't know how happy Essex would be if there was a three-month tour during the English summer um, to sort of just release me and be like, yep, no worries, you can go. So um, I think my main responsibility lies for the foreseeable future with Essex. Um, I came over here for the, for the opportunity um, and the security that county cricket brings. Um, so, yeah, I think... There'd be there'd need to be a lot of uh, discussions between um, cricket South Africa and, and what they were willing to put on the table before I would consider um, sort of that option. But yeah, it's still a long way off yet, and and a lot can change. I mean, you've talked before about kind of um, players all being tarred with the same brush over over Colpac but when you initially joined Essex it was only on a on a six month contract so there was a obviously a risk for you there 
Uh, yeah, um, I obviously had fallen out of favour uh, with the national side and was dropped straight back down to domestic cricket. I wasn't in the A setup and didn't foresee that I would be involved in the national setup for a very long time. So had discussions with guys like Russell Domingo, um, Claude Henderson, A.D. Burrell about options um, and about pursuing a coal pack option and, and what it could possibly add to my game. Um, so that was always the intention um, that I would come over for the opportunity. Uh, it was a six-month deal for not a hell of a lot of money um, and sort of see where we would go from there. Um, so yeah, I I have been guilty by association, as I've said before, uh, with the whole Colpac thing because different guys have done it for for different um, reasons. But um, yeah, I can I can sleep happy at night knowing that my intentions were pure, and I'm I'm happy with the decision I made. Um, and there's obviously been. Uh talk about whether you could qualify to play for England. Chris Silverwood, who was your coach at Essex, is now um, head coach with England. Um, how, how is that um, scenario, what is the, kind of, uh, the latest on, on that and whether it might be possible for you to um, uh, become England qualified? Um, I think it started uh, in the press um, with probably people that didn't really know what uh, the implications were or how it all worked saying that I'd become England qualified next year and uh, being 2020 um, and sort of what was the plan or um, can we get him involved etc etc so um, I think I think it's all talk I think um, the way that the visas are structured at the moment, um, the power lies with the ECB. Um, all the Colpac players are currently on a Tier 5 visa, which means that you would have to be in the UK for 10 years before you could apply for indefinite leave to remain. Um, there is the possibility of moving to a Tier 2 visa, but the ECB doesn't want to explore that, even though all the counties have a, a license to, to issue Tier 2 visas. Um, so yeah, my it's yeah. There's still discussions between uh, some of the counties and some of the players in the ECB to try and move the Colpac players um, to to a tier two. Uh, my immediate uh, need for that would be in order for me to buy property. Um, the banks won't give me a mortgage because. Uh, I don't have indefinite leave to remain, so I can't buy property in the UK. Um, I can't do any other form of work in the UK. I can only play county cricket, so I can't play club cricket. I can't do any coaching, um, anything along those lines. Um, my girlfriend's on a a visitor's visa, um, so she can be in the maximum the in the UK for six out of the 12 months of the year, uh, which obviously uh, poses its its problems. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of reasons that I would want to move to a tier two visa. Um, I think English cricket has given me the opportunity to become a better person and a better player. Um, so I would ultimately like to get uh, a British passport and, and naturalize in the UK, um, especially for my future family. But yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of dead ends at the moment. So 
I think in terms of, of playing for England, um, as far as I'm aware, that's off the table for the foreseeable future. And I mean, all this obviously makes it must make it quite hard to, to, to settle down um, and, and make your kind of home life, family life, have a, have a, um, a consistent place to go back to. Yeah, I think that's the most frustrating thing is um, the anxiety that uh, six months brings to it, packing up your life, moving uh, every six months, not having roots somewhere, not being able to settle. Um, so yeah, that's kind of something that I want to try and sort out. Obviously, coronavirus has thrown a spanner in the works because I think if I was to drop the ECB about it uh, with an email about my visa, um, they've got a lot more important issues to worry about at the moment. <laughs> um, yes, that's probably that is probably fair. Um, you you were uh, you were back in uh, South Africa for the, for their summer. You played in the uh, Sandy League. Um, did you did you follow closely the kind of upheaval um, with kind of Graham Smith and, and Mark Boucher returning and that sort of thing? And I mean, I think you said already that you haven't heard from from CSA at all. Um, yeah, I think they're starting to move in the right direction, in my opinion. Um, I think Graham Smith, somebody who's got a lot of experience in the game of cricket, and having him in a role such as a director of cricket role and being the bridge between the players and the board um, is a smart decision for cricket from Cricket South Africa. There's talk that he's going to be named this month in a per, uh, like sort of permanent role, um, which I think will be very good for South African cricket. And, and the same with Mark Boucher. I think um, he's somebody who's got a lot of experience in international cricket, somebody that the players would have the highest level of respect for um, and when he speaks about situations or um, game scenarios, he, he speaks with international cricketing experience, which is not the be-all and end-all because we know that international cricketers don't necessarily make good coaches. But I think it's a hell of a good starting point, and especially with a young group of players, which South Africa has at the moment, um, sort of getting those players to buy in and to trust somebody um, I think it's a lot easier um, when you've got somebody like Mark Boucher at the helm. Um, and can you say it's a young group for players? Presumably there, there would be quite a, a, a deal of benefit that South Africa would take from having some players like yourself or, for instance, Carl Abbott, who are currently on Colpac deals. But, um, you know, if, if one or two, three of those players were to return, that um, could create uh, you know, a positive environment for uh, for the team. Yeah, I think there's when you're blooding new players, there's there's always an element of of experience and youth. Um, I'm 31. I've played a lot of cricket, but I haven't necessarily played a lot of international cricket. So, um, I think somebody like Carl Abbott is has been around the block, he's, he's played in T20 leagues around the world, he's played more than a fair amount of international cricket, so I can't see how it would be detrimental to have guys like that um, in, in your setup, but um, I think it would obviously, uh, there's a lot of bad blood towards the Colpacks, and it would take, I think, 
um, South Africans and perhaps cricket South Africa to to swallow their pride and 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 seek uh, for those sort of players to return to the South African setup. Um, I think there's been a lot said in the press about um, the return of Colpac players, but um, there's obviously the public perception still is uh, uh, not great. Do you uh, do you sort of talk to other guys like you know Carl or, or kind of on David Visa or Stian Van Zyl? Do, do you um, discuss the kind of those issues and, and the way that public perception is, and, and whether there's any possibility of going back? Are you in kind of regular contact with those guys? Um, yeah, we do uh, catch up. Uh, I wouldn't say regular contact, but we've all played together and get along really well. So normally, um, when we play against one another, we'll do dinner or have a beer or whatever it may be to catch up so um, yeah I can't really speak for all of them I don't know what uh, their sort of feeling is in terms of playing for South Africa again but um, if if the Colpac situation is, is taken away then I'm pretty sure there'll be a few more players putting their hands up for selection in South Africa um, well, obviously, wish you uh, luck on that front. Um, uh, just before I, I let you go, um, you've been very uh, generous with your time, but um, preparations for the new season are kind of on hold. But what are your hopes for the summer? Um, there's been talk about, you know, kind of getting the blast in as a priority, um, whether there might be some, some championship towards uh, the back end. Uh, as, as we know at the moment, there's going to be no cricket before sort of the end of May. But, but what are you sort of keeping your fingers crossed for? Um, yeah, any cricket to start off with uh, would be great. And then from there... Um, I'd really like to play in the 100. It's obviously a new tournament. Um, I felt like I did well to get picked up in it. Um, and with the change of rules that could potentially come in at the end of the year, um, it could quite possibly have been my only opportunity to play in it. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be extremely disappointing if it That's didn't go ahead. sort of domestic qualified. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, being a coal pack... Uh, I qualify as a local player and if that was taken away I would then be an overseas player so um, yeah it's it's something that I've been looking forward to and, and I hope that the ECB can prioritise and, and fit into the schedule but um, they've obviously got an agenda and, and a budget and a company to run um, so yeah to be honest with you uh, any form of cricket uh, I don't really see the point of having unless you're going to play seven championship games or eight championship games so that you can play everybody once. Um, but I think if you're playing sort of four or five championship games, it's not really a true reflection and probably better suited playing a regional tournament just amongst the um, sort of London and South of England clubs or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I think uh, all of the cricketers at the moment are just hoping for any cricket. <laughs> uh, and a chance to defend your the blast title would would be welcome. I, I assume. <laughs> exactly. Um, obviously, if there were, the talk is that if there is going to be a tournament that goes ahead, it's the Vitality Blast, which um, yeah brings back some special memories from last year. Um, but yeah, as long as we get to play some cricket and Liverpool don't win the Premier League, I'm I'm a happy man. 
who's your who's your team that is not Everton? Um, no, I'm an Arsenal supporter, so I actually can't say too much. Um, but yeah, uh, Liverpool have, have played some good football this year and probably deserve, no, not probably, they do deserve to win it, but um, they've always <laughs> been quite uh, mouthy supporters, so um, it could be yeah, a sweet reward. <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, thanks to Watford, Arsenal's Invincibles record is, is, uh, is standing still, so you know, there's always that. Um, you mentioned kind of going for runs with Tom Wesley, uh, obviously keeping your, your two metres of distance. Um, I saw you also helping prepare meals for, for NHS work, as I think, the other day. Uh, yeah, so um, there's a charity called Supporting Humanity who set up uh, in a restaurant in Leighton or Leighton Stone it's in Leebridge Road I don't know where it falls between the two um, and yeah they're doing 1700 uh, hot meals a day for NHS staff um, who were just getting a sort of a sandwich and a cereal bar so uh, it was really nice to be able to give back um, you obviously see it and follow it on the news and understand the impact of it so um, yeah, it was nice to do our little bit and hopefully we'll be going down a little bit more often and, and helping out and uh, offering a few extra set of hands. And uh, just to final thought, you, um, I think you've got a, a law degree which is kind of three quarters of the way through. Have you, have you been uh, any chance to, to work on, uh, on your coursework for that uh, <laughs> whilst in lockdown? Um, I've registered through Open University, um, but it can only start in September because of the way the academic year runs. Um, so I'm busy doing an eight-week course through the University of Cape Town in property development and investment. So it's been keeping me busy. Um, um, yeah, property is something I'm quite keen to uh, get into in the UK. I'm invested in South Africa, but... Um, it's something that I'd like to do here as well. So um, it's been pretty insightful and, yeah, has made the days not boring and more productive. <laughs> well, uh, there's always money in bricks and mortar, I think they say. Um, it's, been, it's been great to talk to you, Simon. Uh, thanks for your time. Only and a pleasure, Alan. Thanks very much, Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, you're back on the park. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll have more on the Switch It podcast soon. Uh, you can, of course, follow the latest on the English season and more on EFPMClickInfo.com. Stay safe out there.